0: In episode nine of this podcast, we discussed the changing role of channel partners in the technology industry. This is how I opened that episode. It is estimated that there are roughly 500,000 IT channel partners in the world today. Over the next seven to 10 years, it is estimated that roughly one third of these channel partners will close their doors as aging owners retire. It is estimated that an additional one-third of these channel partners will struggle to migrate their business models away from selling and supporting on-premise technology solutions. These companies will face shrinking revenues and eventual demise. That leaves just one-third of the current partner ecosystem that is predicted to have thriving business models a decade from now, roughly 165,000 of the current 500,000. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. And welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, I will be joined by Tom DeCosta, Vice President of Hybrid Infrastructure at CDW, a $20 billion reseller and technology solution provider. And Tom and I will be discussing the evolution of the CDW business model. Now, for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. More importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. So let's get right into it, Tom. Welcome. Usually I bump into you at a TSI conference and we <laughs> and we chat there, uh, but it's nice to yeah. catch up between uh, the conferences. And so let's start. Can you describe your role at CDW? Hey, Thomas. I'm, I'm so glad
1: we could do this uh, today. So I lead the hybrid infrastructure practice at CDW, which includes both the uh, public cloud and the data center platforms, along with flexible compute and data protection storage and managed hybrid cloud. And automation and edge computing solutions, and so my team of, of technologists uh, across the U.S. is really focused on making technology work so that
0: customers can do great things. So a lot of the new stuff there, right, in terms of, of cloud and, and that type of infrastructure, and and you know before we talk about the current state, I, I want to go backwards. Um, so so how was CDW making money ten years ago? What were the big gears in the economic engine of the company?
1: Yeah. Well, look, you know, 10 years ago, CDW is a $10 billion business, and mm-hmm. we were providing, just like everybody else, you know, point solutions around services and data center and networking and software and collab and wireless. And, you know, we were doing projects like deploying high density wireless solutions for pro football and baseball and soccer stadiums around the US. And, you know, we just thought that was awesome. And that was fine, you know, for a while. But increasingly customers said, look, I'm not buying just hardware or software or, or services. I'm I'm buying a whole experience and I want an end-to-end experience and I want that experience to help me achieve my outcomes. So, I mean, fast forward to today, like you say, we're a $20 billion business now with over 4,000 coworkers across the globe providing, you know, full stack, full lifecycle solutions to customers. And the interesting thing is, you need know, talk about economic engines You know, services contributes as much gross profit as our hardware business does now.
0: Yeah, a big change there, no no doubt. And, and, you know, as I I listen to you, you know, a a lot of that energy 10 years ago was basically sort of laying the tracks, if you will, right, of the information highway, getting out there, putting that infrastructure in there for for large customers and and small customers uh, alike, but now the game is changing. It's becoming more virtual. It's becoming, you know, more of it's moving to the cloud, you know, et cetera. So, as um, um, that happens, right, some of the traditional gears, like reselling the hardware and the software, um, you know, that comes, you know, under pressure. So, so what are the new types of revenue streams that CDW is is pursuing? And you mentioned already that services has become a much larger portion of revenue and and what types of services and what types of other activities?
1: Yeah, so I think that, uh, of course, I'm a bit biased, but CDW has just a great track record of making organic and inorganic investments to provide value to customers just on a continuous basis. And if you were to listen to one of our earnings calls, you know, we we just had one last month, you would hear our CFO talk about our capital allocation strategy. and, And in that strategy, he would talk about CDW's commitment to investing in the services and solutions business. And so with that context, Thomas, a couple of years ago, when we were rethinking our strategy, which I think is the spirit of your of your question, kind of where we have the right to compete mm-hmm. and win, we knew yeah. that we had to be big in, in, in four kind of customer-relevant areas. First one was um, we, need, we just needed to invest in cloud uh, capabilities, and especially in cloud-native and then also the the professional services management and managed services that that mm-hmm. support that. So that was a that was going to be a huge one. And the, and the best example of that you know is our acquisition of a, a firm called IGNW. It's now called Digital Velocity Solutions, but that gave us application modernization capabilities along with cloud native and then also multi-cloud capabilities. So that's a that's a big bucket you know for us to invest in kind of cloud, but just overall cloud solutions and, and, and services. The second one, um, you know, we had to invest in was, was just applications. And the, the best example of that is our acquisition of a firm called Aptris, which is now called ServiceNow Solutions. And that gave us, you know, ITSM, asset ITS management, customer service management solutions. And so that was another big investment for us to become, you know, increasingly relevant with, with customers. And then the third was, you know, as as we kind of evolve our infrastructure uh, business, um, you know, that's still a big business for us. And probably the best example of that is the acquisition that we just closed on. It was our last, last acquisition. So we've done. We've done 80 acquisitions in the last eight quarters, so we've been yeah, really, year. really busy yeah. to kind of drive towards this relevance, you know that that you're that you're referencing. But this acquisition of Sirius Computer Solutions, uh, we just closed in December, and that provided just really meaningful growth to uh, my team, which is the hybrid infrastructure team, and then also our digital experience team, and pushed the number of our technical coworkers globally uh, to over 4,000 now. Um, and the last bit, really not to be forgotten is that we're going to stitch all this together with security. So last year, we acquired a firm called uh, Focal Point, and they're a security services business, and they focus primarily on things like zero-trust architectures and identity and access management. So all of these examples were in direct response to our customers saying, hey, CDW, we'll continue to love
0: you for the the product but I also need you to have capabilities in in these yeah, areas. Yeah, and you know, as I listen to this, is I think really important for people to understand. If, if you, again, you go back a decade and you think about a large reseller distributor like CDW, again, a big part of that value proposition was being able to to, to push that product out there, right, and, and and land it within the customer site, and that was the value proposition. And again, there's nothing. Nothing wrong with that, but what you just articulated is is climbing up this value stack. I mean, like I said, I'm getting into the application layer. I'm getting into security, right? I'm getting. I've got more professional services. I've got more managed services for ongoing, you know, operational support for my customers. And and also, what I heard there is a very aggressive acquisition strategy. And I'm curious, you know, your thoughts as you look at the industry. And, and again, I mentioned, you know, 500,000 resellers out there. And again, a lot of those made their money by being, you know, very local, right? very regional, supporting, you know, a small customer base, but, you know, basically being that reseller for those customers. I'm hearing, you know, consolidation in this industry, right? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we think that businesses
1: that, that are out there, uh, you have a lot of firms that are kind of at this critical point where they need additional mm-hmm. investment to continue yeah. to grow. And so, a number of the acquisitions that we completed were firms that were at that point. They were looking at needing to drive more of a sales force, uh, more capital investment in automation, more engineers, and you know, they were they were trying to figure out how to drive more customers. And so CDW for them provided this really interesting alternative to meet those mm-hmm. growth goals because we provided this infrastructure of an army of sellers, literally thousands, and a customer base of 250,000 customers. I mean, so that was an incredibly, incredibly attractive asset to them and met their need for growth. At the same time, it also helped us because we were looking for these really critical solutions
0: that our customers were just asking us for. It's a bit of a match made in heaven. Well, you know, you, you guys are running a playbook, which the core OEMs, right, the, the technology providers are, are running. So if you look at somebody like Apollo Alto Networks or an SAP or an Oracle, they've all been very aggressive on the acquisition side to acquire these next generation capabilities, right, to accelerate that. And, you're, you know, they have, like you say, you know, just like you have at CDW, this great sales force, this great infrastructure, this great reach. That's there, so you know that is a good fit for, for sure. And, and so there's a there, you know there's a lot of you know new revenue streams in play. I'm I'm curious, you know, where do you see you know a, a lot of heat right now? Where what are the fastest growing you know revenue streams for CDW right now? Well, I mean, not not
1: surprisingly, Thomas. You know, the acquisitions I I mentioned, those companies provide those customer top of mind mm-hmm. solutions. So application modernization right now. Yeah. Huge. This is, and this is all about our customers need to be more agile and innovative and and drive just exceptional experiences for, for, for their Mm -hmm. customers. And so in order to do that, you know, our customers need to modernize their application architectures from, and we have like every customer talks about this, this older monolithic application architecture, and they need to figure out how to move this from this monolithic architecture to a microservices-based architecture so they can take advantage of all the cloud-native mm-hmm. capabilities, like an AI ML, or like a data visualization, or like a data pipeline. Almost every customer that we talk to is is in that area right now. Not to be underestimated, it's cybersecurity. Yeah. It's interesting. So as customers move to modernize their application, part of what that means is that they are becoming more and more transparent with their information back to their customers. And of course, that really concerns all of the security people in the firm. So, I mean, you've got a couple different things going on. One is, is that you've got the CISO who's like, hey, it's great that we want to be more transparent with our customers and more innovative with our customers, but I have to reduce the risk. And I have to protect the reputation of the firm. So, and then the other thing is, is that everything is distributed now. I mean, I think COVID drove this sure. a bit, but you've got devices, infrastructure, data, all application, <laughs> all yeah. that stuff yeah. is increasingly yeah. distributed. Yeah. And then you've got, on top of that, you've got ransomware. So, I mean, our acquisitions in that space, particularly around identity and access management, combined now with what we also got you know, with the serious acquisition, which is managed security services, is really important to customers right now. And then this last one, probably less sexy, but very real for for customers, is this idea about talent orchestration. The war on technical talent right now, the competition for top technical talent, just never, never been fiercer. And so, I mean, we can help our customers with this in, in kind of three different areas. One is through managed services. Two is through staff augmentation. And then three is... We can help our customers build their own capabilities, you know, through workforce development uh, solutions. So those businesses, you know, those areas of, of app modernization, cybersecurity, and the talent orchestration are just huge right now. I mean, just top of mind for customers.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, it, interesting. You're involved in this, but, you know, we're, we're working on this Tech Career Pathways initiative to try to recruit college students earlier in their careers who are non-tech people right? That, are, that aren't you know, right. computer science majors, aren't you know engineering math majors to consider a career in tech. And, and, you know, you and I both really believe in that cause because, you know, there's just so much opportunity in this industry. And, yes. and I don't see this talent, uh, you know, tightness, this crunch uh, alleviating any, any time in the near future. I think this is going to be with us for a while. So we got to bring more people to the party.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and you know, truth be told, we have a, a, like a meaningful percentage of our technical coworkers at CDW who did not start with a, a tech education, did not have a, a no. college degree in, in tech of some sorts. And yeah. some of them have turned out to be the best technologists in the company. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe it, it,
0: it takes all kinds. For this podcast, I was just uh, talking to a, a person I want to recruit for an upcoming episode who is a chief customer officer at a healthcare tech company. Who uh, started her career in anthropology, and then moved right. into customer success as CSM, right. and went all the way up to chief customer officer. So I mean, you never, you never know. But anyway, so I digress. I, so so back to to you know, as you guys have been moving the economic engine, and you've been acquiring to build some of these these capabilities. So that has been one strategy to incubate these new uh, capabilities. Any other strategies you've you've basically employed? To, to stand up new muscles right within CDW, because again, this is what a lot of companies are going through when they go through an economic engine change is they've got to stand up capabilities they've never had before. so any other any other ways you ha- you, you went about doing that?
1: Well, I think you know i I talked a lot about the inorganic investment. We still have a fair amount of organic investment. We're still mm-hmm. hiring hundreds of of sellers and engineers and technical coworkers. And one of the other meaningful things that that we continue to do here is to invest in automation because it's the automation that again needs to be there to support these revenue streams. So for example, you know, we're we're introducing a, a new, yet another professional services automation tool that's based on the ServiceNow platform. We are implementing a new CRM this year. We've had our homegrown CRM, you know, for a long, long period of time. Uh, we're okay. finally going with a, a, a major partner. Uh, with with CRM, you know, we continue to invest in R and D capabilities to develop new services and, and new offerings. So, I mean, there's there's a number of things that we're doing in the background to support that activity and support those new revenue engines.
0: So, you know, you mentioned the the earnings call, right? The most recent earnings call, and so. Yeah. You know, everything you're talking about, we're going to acquire uh, companies, we have to invest in new infrastructure. By the way, that is a key thing I hear from so many TSI members that they, they really, there is a lot of infrastructure investment to support the new business models, right? But that, again, this is time and treasure. And, and it's time and treasure that often can impact right, profitability. So how are you navigating that as a company, right? That, that balance of, hey, we've got to invest in the future, but obviously we're a publicly traded company. We have you know, their shareholder expectations. How, how is the CEO and the CFO telling that story? Well, if you look at our mix, Thomas, you know, we talked about
1: investments in, in new capabilities, but we still have a, a very healthy product business. That frankly mm-hmm. throws off a lot of cash for us. Help pay the, pay the bills. Yeah. And so we're able to leverage that size and scale that we've built over over years and years to invest back in the business. So in some ways, you know, the size and scale we've achieved has given us the luxury to make these strategic investments that are not profitable on day one, but
0: That's ultimately right. are
1: good long range investments. And so yeah. That's how we've been successfully able to, to, to validate that. you know. Back to my other comment, if you're a smaller firm, you don't have that size and scale. And so you don't have that cash to, to kind of support right. those future investments. We do. And so oftentimes, you know, we're able to press our advantage. I mean, note that you know, we're, we made these acquisitions at an unlikely time during COVID. And so we were able to, to really just press our advantage in terms mm-hmm. of just making sure that we're investing the right way for our, for our customers?
0: Well, I have to comment on that. You know, I did, during the first year of COVID, I did, I think, 86 executive briefings. Um, I think I did one with, you know, with, with folks over at CDW there around, you know, what we were seeing, right, the trends and the impact of, of COVID on the tech industry, right, and how companies were responding. And you know, I had this, this framework, which we called you know, C to A, which is crisis to advantage. And the question I was asking every executive team is, how are you going to use this current environment, this crisis, to retool, to rethink, to come out right, and have some real advantage when things start to come back to normal? And, and the reason I was pressing leadership teams on this is, is you know, the, the natural reaction uh, when you have you know, a shock to the global system like that is to batten down the hatches. Right. Yeah. To basically say, look, we're we're just not going to hire. We're going to you know cut travel. Obviously, we're just going to watch our spending. We just got to, quote, weather the storm. But, but the best companies had a completely different philosophy. The best companies said, how am I going to, you know, because, you know, again, you're a public company. You look at investors and say, hey, hey man, COVID happened. So don't look at my short term results right now and use that, you know, as an opportunity to invest and to do these things. And so, you, you know, what you just articulated, I think, is. Absolutely was the winning philosophy during this, you know, this terrible downturn. Um, but very few companies really did it. I, you know, and so kudos to you guys for for leaning into it. And again, you know, that money that's coming off the legacy business, you know, you don't have to invest it. You could throw it back to investors, right? You could you could pay yes. dividends. You could do other things. And so the you know the fact that you're reinvesting it in the company and 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 again telling that story to shareholders that this is about the future uh, is important. And one final. Comment I'll make on on what you guys are doing there is you know you said hey we've got this legacy business which is helping to pay the bills and and again companies I've watched go through a business model transformation one of the key tactics is you have got to basically really get every margin dollar you can out of the legacy business really optimize it to help fund the new. I mean if you look yes. at what Microsoft you know Microsoft did for example you know they basically cut down costs, costs around the old stuff. Got the margins to go up two, three, four points on the old, you know, license software, the on-prem stuff, to fund the new stuff. Yes. So, you know, again, a winning, a winning play there. So, um, so let me go back to some of the questions here. I wanted to make sure that I got on the, uh, the, the, the table here. Um, so in, again, in terms of incubating, you're acquiring, but you're also investing or, or organically. Let's talk about this changing role of the reseller, because, uh, again, I think a, a lot of the traditional value proposition was to basically implement, integrate traditional support if the customer had problems. Now, you already put it on the table. The customers are saying, look, I, I need more. <laughs> I yeah. want more. And, and, so, um, and so that, you know, and I'm curious in terms of, you know, the role you now see yourself playing also, uh, you know, do you, are you interacting more with the business buyers, the business side of the house, the CFOs, the CEOs? How, how is that? What do you see changing there in terms of the account relationships? Yeah. So that's a great question. You know, I would
1: say that, um, I mean, I said this at the top, Thomas, but we uh, kind of redefined our why or our purpose, mm-hmm. you know, at, at CW, yep. which is uh, to make technology work so people can do great things, which I, I love that statement because it, it, not only is, is it's true, but I think it's inspirational to kind of current and potential uh, coworkers. Um, and full stop, I mean. You know customers want us to help them design and integrate and manage their tech but in the context of achieving their outcomes mm-hmm. and so we recently released this um customer outcomes model that we call i care and it's uh you know it's i for i for innovation uh c for cost a for agility R for risk and E for experience, both both coworker and and customer experience. And we found that customers are typically trying to trying to achieve at least one of those one of those five outcomes. So when it comes to innovation for, for example, I mean, customers are saying, well, how do we go about modernizing our our business applications to take advantage of all the cloud native capabilities? I talked about that a moment ago. When it when it comes to cost, you know, what's top of mind for customers is, hey, not only you know how are we going to reduce cost? but are we costed right? And then how do we go about consolidating our data center or or automating or offloading all the day-to-day operations so that our best people can focus in on the most strategic projects? And then when it comes to to agility, you know, customers are really, I mean, we're doing this as well. We're trying to get better insight about our customer data and we're trying to incorporate those learnings into new application features. And we just want to continuously deploy those features so we can get even better insight from our customers. And then risk, we talked about, you know, risk, risk a moment ago, but it's just, I mean, this is all about, you've got a, a, an increasingly distributed environment. You've got ransomware out there. How are you going to go about protecting your brand and, and your reputation and then experience? And I mean, this has changed significantly for for COVID. I mean, we saw, we, you talked a moment ago, just about customers investing in the, in the downtimes. We saw that in spades, you know, customers who had the additional cash press yeah. their advantage and made more of an investment in building a digital presence. So, mm-hmm. you know, from a from an experience standpoint, customers are asking, how do we engage our customers at every digital touchpoint? You know, and how do we impress them at that digital touchpoint? So, those are the kinds of conversations that that customers want to have. And so, what's well, so what's also really interesting is is that the roles, you know, with within the customer, you know, have have changed significantly. And so, we talk about. Kind of your typical business buyer in IT, it's kind of atypical now. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you've got the the IT uh, investment decision is so incredibly important right now. You know that everybody uh, weighs into the w- yeah. weighs into the decision, and so you know for for example, you have your uh, executive buyer or the business buyer, right? And they're they're really interested in driving outcomes, so hey, CDW, how can you help me drive innovation, cost, agility, risk, uh, and, and reduce risk, and drive drive experience? You have the, the CISO who weighs in on the decision. And like I said a moment ago, they're all excited about you know, the, the data transparency, but at the same time, they're trying to figure out how to protect that data so they can protect the business reputation. Then you have the application developers, and the application development team is top of the heap in IT right now. They take direct recommendation from the executive team. And, you know, all they care about is trying to figure out a way that they can get get code out faster. So we spend a lot of time looking at these different roles. And when we go into a customer meeting, we talk about the different roles that we're going to engage with so that we have the right talk track and material to be most relevant and most prescriptive in, in those conversations. It's interesting. I mean, y- you've got... You know, one of the other things that we're that we're doing right now is uh, implementing, you know, customer segmentation across all of our all of our different customers with Mm -hmm. the intention of being more prescriptive. But even then, within the customer, you have different roles where you need to be prescriptive and you have to be mindful of those roles to understand and connect uh, with them.
0: Yeah. And and so in playing back here, a couple things in terms of these buyers or as I mentioned, the business buyer, but what you articulated there is that yes there's a business buyer again it could be a ceo it could be a, the head of a you know a, a given you know department um, but there is the the chief security officer the ciso who is more important than ever there is still traditional it that is involved but also the rise of you know this developer community and how important they are is influencing the technology decisions and you know and being able to you know again develop the right you know yeah. capabilities that the company company needs so so a lot of different voices a lot of different angles here but the other thing is I listen to you uh, it reminds me of a of a paper we we, we put out um, called uh, your Mess for more and our assertion there especially for companies that have basically been delivering on-premise uh, hardware and software this is not about you know, the old outsourcing model, which was, you know, your, your mess for less, right? So somebody like a CDW could come in and say, hey, we can just run all this for you and we'll do it, you know, at a lower price point. This is about you coming in as a technology provider and saying, look, not only can we help you run some of this stuff or enable you, but we are going to unlock more value for you because we're involved here. It's, it's a very different, you know, equation, like you said, and you're going to do that through, through, you know, again, not just traditional support motions, it's going to be through analytics, it's going to be through unlocking outcomes, because you understand how to get those outcomes. It's a, it's a very different mentality, but it's also what the customers are looking for from their strategic yep. technology providers, period. That's, that's, the, that's where the expectations have have gone. And so, you know, I think that's the journey as an industry that we're on is to step up <laughs> to what the customer really looking for, you know, in today's marketplace. So um, we so we talked about the changing role, you, you know, that you now have with with customers and their expectations. I want to flip that around and talk about the role with the technology providers, right? The folks that you know, because you guys are a massive reseller, you know, and, and, and you've got all these best of breed technologies that you're helping, you know, put in into play. But how is that relationship, you know, changing with those technology providers, and especially in this? cloud world, I mean, in the old world, you know, you got paid basically to, to install a piece of hardware, you know, on site and and, and there was money to be made there, but maybe there's no hardware going on site. Right. So, so, so so just talk about how, how you see that evolving that relationship.
1: Well, look, Thomas, the technology partners that we work with include, you know, all the tech manufacturers, so your common hardware and software providers. But of course, they also include the public cloud providers. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. huge partners for us uh, right now. And like everybody, I mean, they're they're continuing to drive their overall business. And so as we move more and more into the hybrid cloud space and just the public cloud space, interestingly, I mean, the, the partners are shifting their rewards uh, to partners like CDW to be more weighted on driving multi-year subscription you know right. based engagements with the with the customer and this is not going to be a surprise you know to you I mean so because you get that's been your thesis for a long time is is yeah. layer but I mean with that investment envelope our partners are are looking for us not only to land the deal but also to be very active and provide huge value around adopt and expand and and renew and the economics of that follow then, because they're they're placing less of their incentives on land and more of their incentives on layer you know on the on the total life cycle get the adoption the the customer yeah renews
0: and expands yes
1: yeah and so that's been significant for us
0: Yeah, it's definitely a shift in mentality, and it's interesting to kind of watch this dance unfold, right, between the technology providers and, you know, large partners like yourselves in terms of, again, how we're all going to operate together, how we're all going to make money in these new models. And it's interesting because I know that there are a lot of the OEMs, as this has been unfolding, that have been nervous in terms of, well, gosh, if we're not doing on-premise technology, you know, we don't know how the partners are going to make money. We don't know, you know, do we need partners, et cetera. They felt that this was sort of the demise of their channel ecosystem. And we've never believed that. We believe it's just a different partnership. It's a, you know, it's a different economics. It's a different kind of relationship. But, you know, we see the most successful as-a-service companies, cloud providers, et cetera. They have a very robust channel ecosystem and partner relationships because to what you just said, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done (laughs) to drive the adoption, to get the customers to be successful. And these OEMs do not have all those arms and legs. Just, just no way. And, and right. so, you know, but it's a different financial model. And you know, OEMs have got to A, lean into that. The other thing I'll say to, you know, all the OEMs who may be listening here is you have got to invest with your partners to help them stand up some of these new capabilities. I mean, you guys have been doing a lot of your own investment. You know, you've got the weight on. There's other folks that, that, that don't, but the OEMs have got to basically be actively involved in that conversation with their partners. They just can't sit there and hope that the partner is just going to turn the bend on this, right? So it's uh, it's interesting to watch. And the dance is not done yet, right? It's still sort of evolving in these in these new in these new as a service models, but I, I want to know it, you know how you guys are changing in your in your role. And I was looking at the um, the CDW website, and when you go there, it you know one of the things you have front and center is this massive library of information around technology and technology solutions. You, you know, almost, you know, it's almost like an IDC Gardner esque. Type of thing. So, so tell me a little bit. What's the philosophy there? What you know, the role that you want to you want to play with the website. Well, what
1: we found is that the customer buying journey has has changed, and and like we just talked about, so has the IT decision maker. And so, if you, I mean, we do a lot of research around this. So, if you look at today's IT decision maker, what they're doing is they're going on this journey of self discovery, Mm -hmm. uh, where frankly, Thomas they want to be helped before they want to be sold we try to meet customers where they are in 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 that regard and so much of the content you know that is developed on our on our site uses the knowledge of i mean people like on my team for for example that have years and years of expertise in in working with with customers and so you know, those articles and videos and, and blog posts, you know, that, that you reference are really there just to, I mean, in the spirit of what the customer journey is today Mm -hmm. are there now to inform and educate, uh, the, 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 the customer. And, um, and again, you know, you've got different kinds of roles. So we try to tailor that site to the different personas that, that I, that I spoke of earlier. And so, um, you know the net of this is 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 that this is really designed to inform people on the solution, and it and it it can't be just a bunch of product pages. Right. I mean that's what everybody did in the past, and so you know we want to put the uh, technology into this into the proper context, which is the context of business outcomes. So we really try to frame our message around this eye care model, you know that that I've been speaking of. The other bit to this is is that. You know, when you look at the results on, for example, our professional and managed services pages, the changes that we've made to be more prescriptive to the buyer, to the persona, to the customer have been, you know, tremendous. We had our visits to services pages have gone from, you know, 200,000 annual visits in 2020 to almost 500,000 annual visits in, in 2021. Wow. But I will tell you that beyond the education that we provide, because that's part of the journey. What's most relevant to customers is testimonials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's something like 85% of all it decision makers read between eight and 10 reviews prior to purchase. Why? Because people trust people
0: more right. than they do the, right. the right. marketers. Right. Yeah. They would just, they
1: want to learn from people that are just like themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been a, that's been a big, big part of our business. I mean, our, our, you know, our e-commerce business is huge, you know, as
0: a, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, so there's a lot of important points that you made there that reflect the changing buyer journey in technology. And again, back in the day... It was about you know, our account executives knocking on the door, educating the customer about what you could do you know, for, for them, sticking the landing right on, on, on getting that big deal. And now right, customers, we know for a fact, they do a lot of self-education beforehand. I mean, so you've got to lean into that. Your website cannot be simply about products or propaganda. You know, it can't just be marketing, <laughs> slick marketing stuff, right? Hey, you know, trust me, you know, we solve all the, you know, all, all the problems here. It, I mean, they are looking for real insight. And like you said, you got to segment that insight by their persona, you know, what what they care about. They're looking for real testimonials, right? Have other people, what have other people like me done, to, you know, to change this, that or the other thing around their technology. And so I think that's, you know, really important. And, and like, you said, meet the customer where they are, let them go through those early stages of the buying journey on their own. They want to do that. And then, and yes, then the good. other... You know, the key thing, we've got a chapter in the upcoming book here on digital hesitation called Data-Driven Sales. And we believe that sales organizations within technology companies have got to become much more data-driven. And a big part of that data, that telemetry, is coming from things like your website. But the website has got to be constructed correctly. You know, it's got to have the types of attributes you're talking about that throws off meaningful telemetry for you to understand. Oh, look, this customer now is a place they're probably ready to talk to us, right? Yes. And and so that's just you know that's where the game is is going. And so uh, again, kudos to you guys for 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 um, you know making that that pivot. And and it did. I have to tell you, it really did strike me when I did go to the website because it does have a very look and feel than a lot of the websites that I see when I go out there and look at technology providers because they're still. On this page of boom 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 here's my products boom 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 here's you know here's the story yeah. about my solutions it's very traditional it's it's very look what you know i can do or orient it as opposed to meeting the customers where they where they want to be met around educate me help me you know i've got these questions so yeah it's a different it's a different game again it's 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 a changing changing world so um i again i really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to stop in today and talk. And again, I I really think that the reseller model uh, is changing dramatically. And again, the change isn't, isn't, isn't done yet. Um, I think you guys are in for some really exciting times here over the the upcoming, upcoming years. And again, I also really appreciate your, your support Tom serves on our executive advisory board for, for TSIA. And, um, and that's, we really appreciate the, your insights uh, for, for, for us as a community. So thank, thanks for your service there.
1: Great. Great. Thank you. Well, I, you know, we, we certainly enjoy uh, working with your team. The insights, you know, that you provide us as, as we kind of go down this path of new opportunities for, for customers have been invaluable. So, you know, thank you for that. No, and right. uh, yeah, right. and I know I'll see you uh, in in May in in Orlando, Thomas.
0: Yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, we we get, we got a new footprint there, and we have the whole place. This is the, what the largest Marriott uh, ever. I mean, this thing's massive. Um, but we've got the whole facility, and we're really looking forward. You know, I've been talking to to members the past couple of weeks, and, and and people are just really they are so ready to get back together. I know I am as well. So look, look forward to seeing you there. So uh, again, a great conversation as always. And, and I hope that you know executives and channel leaders in the technology industry are, are listening to this episode because again, that that dance is, is, is changing. And, and as always, I like to end these episodes with the big question of the day. Here's the question. The business models of technology resellers are rapidly changing. There is no doubt that a percentage of those resellers will not turn the bend. Are you? or your partners in that painful percentage. Thanks for listening. Cheers.